0: Welcome back to NELFA's Affordable Housing Podcast. My name is Allison Ward, NALFA's Membership and Operations Associate. I am pleased to be joined by Eric Enderlin from the New York City Housing Development Corporation to talk about the recent NALFA Award of Multifamily Excellence for their project, The Essex. Thank you for joining me today and congratulations again.
1: Hi, Allison, it's great to be here. Thank you very much uh, for having us and also for this, this award. We're really uh, excited.
0: Our pleasure. It was well deserved. So to set the scene for our listeners, can you share some of the history behind the project and the inspiration behind its creation?
1: Yeah, it's actually a, a pretty fascinating site in New York City. Um, this was an urban renewal area that came out of you know the history of kind of federal urban renewal in the United States. It ended up uh, being a site that was cleared in the 1960s of all development, um, including a lot of residential development in some poorer communities and some Latinx communities in New York City. And it was, uh, for a long time, the largest uh, undeveloped and developable site in uh, Manhattan below 96th Street. So it was a huge, critical, important uh, site that sat vacant for literally decades for any number of reasons. A lot of it was lack of consensus, but there were also some political reasons where um, folks were concerned about what might happen to their constituency. And so there's been a lot, a fair amount written about it, um, the Seward Park urban renewal area, and as you know, urban renewal in general. So it was it was that site. and And the the building that we actually won for, the Essex, was just one part of a larger plan that the city put out a uh, request for proposals on uh, earlier around uh, 2013 is when the uh, decision was actually made to go with this team. And so this building, and we we think this is a great building and a great award for it, it's a multifamily building with a lot of mixed-use elements to it, is just part of that larger kind of planning history and context of a number of buildings. It's six acres. It is um, nine buildings in total development. This is the second of those. It's uh, called Site 2, in addition to being called the Essex, Essex's. Oftentimes, these larger uh, plan things can just have a a working title as well. And I I think you know this from the descriptions 195 units of mixed income. But more important than that, there is a ton of mixed use in this building and in the overall site as well. So, this building, in addition to the 195 mixed income uh, units, affordable units, um, also has what's called the Essex Market, which was a historic decades-old market that was in this neighborhood that uh, served the the population that existed. And it was really critical to the city to preserve that market. There's almost 40 vendors that are in that market. The rents are restricted. Uh, It was written down by part of the project benefits are the fact that it's gonna be affordable to these vendors so that you can bring in fresh food and prepared foods as well, and have that market continue to operate in a very kind of organic way, but in a new space, it really needed the space, but also to keep those foods and those products affordable to residents in the neighborhood. Uh, The other thing, just I'll say quickly too, the the development itself over a thousand units. It ended. Up, it was originally proposed at about a thousand. We ended up getting a thousand and seventy nine units in there, half of which are permanently affordable, and that's a critical point as well. So that market serves um, some low income folks in addition, and so it's a, it's just a great resource to to have available.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for kind of laying the groundwork for us. I think that really sets us up nicely for our conversation today. Sure. So for a large-scale project like this, um, were there any key partnerships that New York kind of developed throughout the course? Um, And can you kind of share the details behind those partnerships?
1: Yeah, you know, there have to be to do something like this. It's such a large effort. And so, you know, some of the partnerships were public and private, but also not-for-profit. So um, settlement Uh, housing is in there, is in this development in this building as well. But in the larger development, Grand Street Settlement, an old settlement house uh, on the Lower East Side does job training. The Chinese American Planning Council is part of the overall project. So a lot of key partners that were in the neighborhood and in the community for uh, decades uh, were part of it. But in addition to that, obviously you need a huge amount of uh, intergovernment coordination. So while A lot of the description talks about the city of New York's Economic Development Corporation, EDC, as kind of shepherding this. And that's absolutely true. There was a tremendous partnership between the housing agency in the city of New York. uh, It's called the Department of Housing Preservation and Development, which is the city's housing agency, and the Economic Development Corporation. And quite honestly, uh, at the end of the process, a tremendous amount of weight was put on the ability of this Team and partnership and collection of relationships, as you talk about, to really deliver housing. Um, so as much as there's economic development here, and it's a big development and a you know 1.9 billion dollars worth of development once that's all said and done, um, and over a thousand apartments and 1.2 million square feet of total development. You can go through all the all the lists on it. The the relationship between uh, parts of government, and the ability to really deliver on the housing aspect of it is what really made this, this team of um, L&M development, uh, BFC development, and Taconic partners, along with some financing partners, really stand out and kind of win the day on this uh, RFP.
0: Well, it sounds like it was definitely a team effort and it's really great to hear the strong relationships that you developed.
1: And, you know, With I'd your- say one one more thing about this because it's a little bit of the best practices and I think it gets at the spirit of your question too. A lot of, and, and people have said, talked about this. So, so, I won't be the first one to say, but it's important. A lot of that community groundwork was done up front, and it was very clear what these community benefits were going to be. And I think that helped to really overcome some of the hurdles and challenges that, you know, typically projects of this scale really can be frozen for a a long period of time. This, once we actually had a team in place and was working with the community, a lot of these benefits became clear. Um, 50% permanent affordability is just huge. When you look at that market, when you look at the other amenities, a movie theater, a bowling alley, some office space that's come into it. Um, uh, And the other thing that's really, really, I think was important to people is that the development itself feels organic. And a lot has been said about this and we think it's really true and it's something we're proud of. It feels like it came out of the community as opposed to something that was imposed on the community. A lot of times you see this kind of large scale development that looks like it honestly dropped from a catalog or something where you you can instantly pick out the pieces that really weren't organic to the neighborhood. And I think a lot of people, including those of us who worked on it in government are very proud of the fact that when you walk through that neighborhood, while it's, while it's beautiful and attractive and well-designed, it feels like it came out of the neighborhood and it's in scale with the neighborhood and the materials are function well with the neighborhood and the uses function well with the neighborhood. So it's just really an attractive thing. And you often hear things like, this building in particular is sometimes described as one of the taller buildings on the Lower East Side. And that one of is really a critical thing. It can feel like an understatement or, you know, but but really, it's a it's kind of a a really high compliment that it's not trying to overpower or make a screaming statement. It's really of the neighborhood and really an attractive addition to the neighborhood and providing things that pe- people really want to to live and to and to uh, you know a- improve the quality of their lives.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like there was definitely a lot of intentional thought and actions behind this project, and it really shows through.
1: Absolutely. So
0: I think I think you kind of set us up nicely for my next question Um, regarding the obstacles faced during the the ongoing of this project. Can you share a little bit about those and um, what insight can you share with our listeners for best practices or lessons learned from these obstacles.
1: Sure. When you think through, and I kind of mentioned any development of this scale, there's a tremendous amount of coordination. We'll start with the history of it, which we had some of the urban renewal stuff, some of the blight, the kind of historic tension between people like Robert Moses, who really did clear that site, that was the original clearing in the site, and Jane Jacobs, who believed in a much more kind of organic approach that we just described and talked through. And then the history of kind of political paralysis, where a lot of times when you introduce new housing to a neighborhood, there might be people who are concerned about changes to their constituency. So you get kind of a political gridlock that happened for decades. And then you have folks who were displaced, there were a lot of commitments to bring people back. And we honored those commitments, the city went uh, absolutely as far as we could to honor all the commitments to bring back residents. And we did that we tracked down folks who had not been in that neighbor neighborhood, but who had had that commitment for decades and, and some of those folks did come back. So there's all of that kind of big picture challenges. The other thing is that, and I, I mentioned this earlier, this building that we won this uh, multifamily award for really sits in this much larger context of a, of a larger set of development, including a piece of which, uh, which is called the market line, which is a world-class market. So I mentioned the kind of smaller Essex market, which is preserving that historic market that was in the neighborhood. And that's right in the base of this building. And it's close to 40 vendors. I think it's 36 or 37 vendors who have been there and and will have it remain affordable and be able to deliver um, products that are affordable to the neighborhood. But at the same time, there's also this large market line, which is a really kind of uh, world-class market. That's we have a uh, another market in New York City called Chelsea Market on the west side of Manhattan in Chelsea, the Chelsea neighborhood. Kind of a similar concept. Um, and there's you know it's been compared with some markets in Europe and around the world that are of this. So it's a very large market that runs across blocks underground. And there's there's an effort to produce on the southern side of this overall site what's described as a light scoop to bring natural light in from the southern exposure uh, along Broom Street and then to connect all of this uh, underground space into this large uh, contiguous market. And so you can imagine just a tremendous amount of engineering challenge in doing that. Um, and then there's all sorts of challenges around balancing the uh, the affordability and the mix of buildings. And and we've got senior units in some of the buildings. Uh, we started with a senior project uh, as part of the development. So there's just kind of challenges across the board in organizing that. And one thing that, you know, I I didn't make much of, but it's absolutely critical to this as well. This is a very strong neighborhood in Manhattan, uh, and we knew it was a strong market. So we wanted the developer to provide 50% permanent affordability and all of these amenity spaces without a whole lot of public subsidy. In fact, there's no direct public subsidy. There's land obviously uh, contributed in, in some cases, although this development team also paid close to 200 million dollars for the overall set of sites. so even the land was not a pure uh, contribution so that the city was paid for a significant sum of money for for it in addition to getting this affordability. But there were challenges in figuring out how you parse all that. you know no one no entity is going to come in and finance the entire overall thing. so portions of those payments and portions of the land contributions and portions of tax abatement got allocated to each of the individual buildings. So there was a constant challenge. And throughout it, in fact, there was a major change to some of the state uh, the state and local real estate tax abatement policy during the construction of this site, which meant that we had to kind of refigure the financing on some of these sites to work through the tax abatement portion of it. So there are just all kinds of challenges. I don't You need to go into the Ton more of the technical detail, but you can imagine the types of things that we uh, have confronted along the way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's great to see how you face those obstacles and eventually overcame those hurdles that kind of blocked your path from a moment there.
1: You know, if I could just add to the two, I think the key to, because you asked a little bit about some of the practices and stuff, sometimes things like this, the key quality that you need to maintain is this kind of high functioning, both on the public and private side partnership, but also a relationship where both sides can remain flexible and engage in a negotiation. I mentioned that this was a, a team that at the end of the day was selected because it had a strong background in housing and affordable housing in the city. And that was absolutely critical to making this work. We knew we were working with a team that If five things didn't work, this is a team that would come up with a sixth way of making it work. And if we had five policy problems that we needed to figure out, we could go to a team like this and figure it out. So it was just it was a great working relationship of people who understood New York really well, but also understood housing and affordable housing extremely well.
0: Absolutely. It's great to have people of all expertises there so you can you can kind of bounce ideas off of each other and move forward. And adapt.
1: Yep. And adapt as circumstances change. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Adaptation is definitely very vital in a project like this. And it's very clear to see that you guys have mastered that. So going back to something that you mentioned earlier, um, this project was an organic addition to, to the neighborhood and the surrounding community. Um, can you share some of the impacts this development has had on not only its residents, but the surrounding area and community?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, when you know, I described the scale of six acres and, you know, 1079 units, 1.2 million square feet of uh, space overall um you know hundreds of thousands of square feet of commercial and retail space and community facility space so you can imagine and, and and at a critical nexus right it's on the lower East side of Manhattan right at the you know almost the base of the Williamsburg Bridge so connecting uh, really vital neighborhoods in Brooklyn as well that cross right over that bridge into the lower part of Manhattan and honestly a historic relationship I mean you you can go back a hundred years the same we look at the patterns of, the East village in the Lower East side of Manhattan. And then, uh, you know, this kind of Pattern of folks moving into Brooklyn, into Williamsburg, and into Flatbush—that's actually a pattern that has happened a century before. That was the same Lower East Side development that then went into Williamsburg and Flatbush and Crown Heights in Brooklyn. So there's always been this really strong relationship between um, those neighborhoods and that and 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 Lower Manhattan and that and those neighborhoods in Brooklyn. So this had a tremendous impact and is having a tremendous. It's not entirely finished. The full site is not entirely. Uh, built so it's an ongoing impact and a growing impact, and obviously in the last year, things have slowed down significantly um, temporarily in New York as they have everywhere due to COVID. But this is a this is an ongoing um, development that is continuing to have impacts, and the market is open. I mean, I've been to the market many times, and it's absolutely fantastic. It did what it was intended to do, which is to preserve that historic Essex market and also create this. Um, this additional market and so those have been very very attractive features the the theater the bowling alley all those elements are going to be critical elements of of this development in addition to some office space as well so it can't uh it can't have helped but to have a huge impact on the on the neighborhood
0: absolutely it seems like you've created a very lovely place for folks to call home
1: It's it's a great mixed use set of sites and it fits, uh, it fits kind of perfectly in that neighborhood.
0: Absolutely. It definitely sounds like it has a very nice, nice fit in, in the neighborhood and surrounding communities. So it's very good to hear. So kind of to wrap things up, can you share any final advice or insights with our audience who might be looking to start an affordable housing project like this one?
1: Yeah, you know, and I touched on some of it, which is the kind of Partnership, uh, a very high functioning partnership. I touched on kind of flexibility. I touched on some of the history of the site. This was, when you think about the scale of this, this isn't like a hmm, how, for folks starting out, what would you do? This is something that you kind of go with your uh, A teams on across the board. And it's something that it's a once in multiple generations chance to get right and kind of create and integrate into a neighborhood in New York City. So that those pieces of were absolutely critical. And so kind of moving beyond the what would you say to people who want to do this? I think the the question would be look at some of these lessons learned. And to me, the biggest lesson really is this kind of organic development, this leading with the community benefits piece that we talked about, the organic development, not trying to make this, you know, oftentimes I think when people are awarded an RFP of this size, there's this idea that we're going to make it a trophy site or a set of trophy buildings. And that was not the mentality of this at all. There was really a a level of really we're grateful for a level of kind of modesty and thoughtfulness in what was done. And I don't mean that it wasn't big thinking. In fact, the biggest thinking was in saying, how can we really make this of the neighborhood? And how can we really get the planning right? And how can we really get the architecture and the materials right? So this doesn't feel like something kind of gaudy just dropped onto a neighborhood of the city because it's got a lot of money involved or a lot of development potential. And I think that that was done incredibly well. And to me, that's the takeaway way. And I think when you read, you know, we were pleased because many of us thought that way and hoped this is what would happen. And when you down the road came across some of the architectural reviews that have come out, some of the, you know, urban design critics and some of the architecture critics who've written about it and talked about it, that's exactly what they picked up on and talked about. And I think that's the kind of the highest compliment. And to me, that's the That's the big takeaway, and to many of us who who are interested in community development, economic development, affordable housing development um, and integrating neighborhoods with all of those elements, and so I think that was that's the big takeaway and the best practice and the kind of highest form of compliment. Yeah,
0: definitely. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for joining me today. I know our audience will be very eager to hear about and learn from your award-winning work on this project. It was such a pleasure to speak with you.
1: Allison, thank you. And thanks to NALFA as well. It's great to be here today, and we hope to speak with you more in the future.
0: Absolutely. We look forward to it.
1: Take care. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you again for listening to the NALFA Affordable Housing Podcast. Be sure to join us next time for more insightful, affordable housing discussions.